you are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. and open up your Bibles to John chapter 21, and uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, the ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now to uh, distribute copies of God's Word. It'll make a lot more sense if you're able to follow along today. So if you don't have a Bible in your hand right now, take that hand, put it up in the air, and uh, make sure that uh, you gather one from, uh, from uh, an usher. We all know the feeling. Uh, For some of us, it's when you look into the tear-filled, frightened eyes of a loved one after you lash out having lost your temper again. For some of us, it's when you close your internet browser after spending hours on a website you vowed to never return to. For others of us, it's that conversation that's just running in our heads over and over again of an opportunity where we had a chance to stand up for our faith, where we had a chance to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone, and we kept our mouths shut. It's those moments where you finally wake up and look at your alarm clock after hitting snooze multiple times, getting up with just enough time to get to work, even after vowing again and again, I will get up early, I will study God's word, I will prioritize my relationship with God. We all get those feelings. Feelings of guilt, Feelings of shame, feelings of hopelessness, a despair, discouragement. What do we do with those feelings? We've been going through a, a series here at our church uh, that it, it's been pretty heavy, hasn't it? It's called Following Him. And what we've done is we've just systematically gone through every single time Jesus says, This is what it takes to be a disciple. If you want to follow me, this is what is required in order to be a follower of him. And maybe you're feeling like how often I feel is my life isn't so much characterized as following him as it is failing him. How do I follow him when I feel like all I ever do is fail him? I mean, if you take a look at what we've studied In this series, it began in Luke chapter 5 in the Sea of Galilee. It began with the miraculous catch of fish and Peter listening, obeying Jesus' word and leaving those nets and leaving everything behind and following him. And do you ever feel like you're just running back and clinging to those things that Jesus has invited you and called you to leave behind? Or in Mark chapter 8 where we talked about the cross of discipleship where Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And then we look at our lives and rather than be characterized by self-denial, we're characterized by self-indulgence. 
Or the curriculum of discipleship we studied in John chapter 8 where Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And he said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yet how many times do we buy into the lie and reject the truth and submit ourselves to a yoke of slavery again and again? Or Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus stressed the importance of the commission of discipleship to go out and to make disciples. And yet how much of our lives and our time and our resources and our energy and our gifts and our money is actually used to make disciples, to fulfill the commission that he's given? The conflict of discipleship was discussed in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus said, a disciple is not above his master. If they hated me, they're going to hate you too. And we talked about the, the conflict that we as followers of Jesus Christ will inevitably run into as sheep among wolves. Yet how many times do we compromise in order to sort of make what seems like peace with those around us who are hostile to the gospel? And in John chapter 13, we looked at the community of discipleship, where Jesus said, if you, if you love one another, then all the world will know that you're my disciples. But how many times, because of resentment or bitterness, because of something that happened to us in the past, do we close ourselves off from the Christian community? Not following him, but failing him. In Luke chapter 18, we discussed the contentment of discipleship, the, the rich young ruler, and Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell all that you have. But how often are we just like him, unwilling, going away sad because we aren't willing to be content with him and him alone. And then the connection of discipleship, that abiding principle of John chapter 15, how many times rather than abiding and depending and relying by faith in Jesus Christ to bear fruit, how often do we try to produce fruit on our own? And the commitment of discipleship, those three excuses from Luke chapter 9, I will follow you, but first let me do this, how often do we get our priorities all out of whack? And then the cost of discipleship, which we talked about last week, the the personal cost, the relational cost, the material cost. How often do we count the cost and decide rather than going with Jesus, we decide to stay right where we are? How do we go about following him when we've been convicted that we've been failing him? Uh, this has been, I know this has been a hard series to hear because this has been a, a very hard series to preach. And I know that at different times, a certain message on a certain theme, a certain topic has brought a, a significant sense of, I, I'm falling short here. I am, I am not following him in the way that he made clear that I need to follow him. Well, if that's the case, then this message is for you. Because when we feel those feelings of shame or guilt or disappointment or discouragement, hopelessness or despair, we tend to think, oh, it's, it's over. I keep stumbling. I keep falling. He's just going to keep moving on without me. We need to understand that when we think it's over, Jesus calls us back to the beginning. 
When we think it's over, Jesus calls us back to the beginning. That's what he's going to do here for his disciples. That's what he's going to do here for one of his disciples in particular. Take a look at John chapter 21 and verse 1. We're going to set the scene here with the first of 14 verses. It says that after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. A Tiberias, that's a, just a, another way of describing the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this was the hometown for many of Jesus' disciples. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We talk about that at Christmas. But Jesus' upbringing happened in a region called Galilee. He's, he was called Jesus of Nazareth. And most of the disciples all came from this region. And it's interesting that when after Jesus was raised from the dead, his first appearance was... In Jerusalem, where it, all, where it all happened. And he appeared a number of times to them in Jerusalem. But then he told them, go to Galilee. He said, I'm going to meet you. I'm going to appear to you again in Galilee. He wanted to call them back. They had all fled from him. The shepherd was struck and the sheep were scattered. They all ran away. No one came to his defense. And Jesus wanted to call them all back, and he wanted to call one disciple in particular back. Verse 2 says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, those guys, that's James and John. John's the one who's writing this book. And two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. You probably picture Thomas said, yeah, we probably won't catch anything. They went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Is this starting to sound familiar? Sea of Galilee, fishing all night, catching nothing. Just as day was breaking, so it's, it's too dark to make out who the person is, it says Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Figure, poof. All right. We haven't caught anything thus far. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Is this sounding familiar? He's calling them back to the beginning. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how John refers to himself, the guy who's writing this, therefore said to Peter, uh, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Just a quick question about um, aquatic sports. Are you more effective as a swimmer with more clothing on? Just, just, Peter's just, he's so excited to see Jesus. He's putting more clothes on and, and, and jumping into the, jump, and, and, and there's no swan dive here. It says he threw himself into the sea. He saw an opportunity to get close to Jesus. And then in, in, verse, in verse 8, it says, the other disciples came in the boat. My translation would be, the normal people came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, because they were not far from the land, about 100 yards off. So I don't know who got there first, Peter or the, or the disciples in the boat. But listen, when Jesus calls us back, one of the things that so often stops us from responding to that call is fear of humiliation. 
of actually admitting that we had done something wrong, of actually taking that step of simple obedience that he wants us to take. And Peter didn't let that get in his way. He had fallen flat enough on his face. He had his own, his own understanding of failure. And he let a lot of people down. And so he wasn't afraid of what embarrassment might come his way for being eager to see Jesus. Continuing to set the stage here in verse 9, it says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire. Just, just make note that there's a charcoal fire. With fish laid out on it and bread. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus called them back to the beginning. Here they are. They're on the Sea of Galilee, a miraculous catch of fish. He's calling them back. But he's going to call one person in particular, Peter. Verse 15 says, when he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus is going to begin calling Peter back. And we're going to take a close look at how Jesus calls people back. There's two things that we need to know, the way that Jesus calls us back. Here's the first thing we need to know, is that when Jesus calls us back, he calls us out of condemnation. He calls us out of condemnation. This conversation that Peter has with Jesus caused him to grieve. Do you see that in verse 17? It says that Peter was grieved. And why was he grieved? Because he said it to him the third time. He was grieved because he had said it to him the third time. This whole conversation, as you make note, was happening around a charcoal fire. A charcoal fire, that phrase, that kind of a fire, is only mentioned one other time in the Bible. In a courtyard, in John chapter 18, where Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus called Peter back. Called Peter back to the very beginning at the Sea of Galilee, and now he's calling him back to remember what he had done. And in the same way that Peter had three opportunities to say that he loved Jesus and failed, now Jesus is giving him three opportunities to affirm that he does indeed love Jesus. He's giving him three opportunities to once and for all make right what he knows he did wrong. Because Jesus wanted to call him out of the condemnation that he was feeling. Peter felt grieved as he remembered him calling curses down on himself, as him being afraid of mere servants. 
He called Peter out of that condemnation. He was grieved. When a believer knows that they have sinned, when a believer knows that they have failed in following him, grief is part of the natural process, that sense of shame or guilt. There is a sense in which that is natural. But the Bible tells us that there are two kinds of grief. There is 2 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about godly grief. Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But the same verse tells us that there is worldly grief that produces death. And Jesus wanted to make sure that the grief that Peter was experiencing was in fact godly grief. That it wasn't worldly grief. Because Jesus didn't want Peter to keep carrying around this condemnation for the way that he had let Jesus down and denied him three times. Now a lot has been written and said about um, the Greek words for love that are recorded here in John chapter 21. There's two different words for love that are used uh, in this passage. The, the words that I've sort of highlighted with a heart there in dark red, that's the Greek word uh, agape. And that's the selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love that's often used to describe the way God loves us. And the words for the Greek word for love that's translated in English here, that's highlighted in pink, that's the word phileo. That's the, the family, brotherly love. And some commentators and preachers make a, make a huge deal about Jesus said, Do you love me? Do you agape me with this selfless, totally committed love? And then Peter, it's almost as though he seems like he's evading the question. He's avoiding, well, I, I, I don't agape you, but I'll, I, I phileo you, Jesus. Like, I. And then, if you follow that logic, then towards the end, the last time Jesus asks, he says, do you, he doesn't say, do you agape me? He says, do you phileo me? It's almost as though Jesus is just kind of settling. Almost as though Jesus is like, you know what, Peter, I really wish you'd agape, but I'll settle for phileo, I guess. And, and, and that's why Peter was grieved, because, because he knew that he couldn't love Jesus with that kind of agape love. Now, before we, before we go along with that kind of understanding, we need to keep a couple of things in mind. First of all, that Greek, that was the, Greek was the language of reading and writing, but it wasn't the spoken language in first century Palestine. Uh, the spoken language was Aramaic. And in Aramaic, like English, there's only one word for love. And these guys were Jewish, so maybe they weren't speaking Aramaic. Maybe they were speaking Hebrew to one another. But there's, again, in Hebrew, there's only one word for love. And so, as this conversation was happening, they weren't using Greek words. And so, what we have here before us is that John is really just, he's not trying to compare one kind of love with another. He's just being a good writer. Good writers Use different words to describe the same thing to create variety so you're not reading the same thing over and over and over again. Just like in the other parts of the passage where the word know, John mixes that up too. You know that I love you, you know that I love you, you know everything, you know that I love you. He, he changes the word know. No, one, no preacher gets up and says, well, when he says no here, he means this. But when he says no, he means that. Or different words for sheep. And he says, feed my lambs, feed, tend my sheep, feed my... 
When he says sheep, he means this, but lambs, he means that. Is it, if we're going to make a big deal about the different words for love, we need to make an equally big deal about the different words for no and the different words for sheep. What grieved Peter was that Jesus asked him the third time. I'm not making that up. That's what it says right in the Bible. In verse 17, Peter was grieved because, not because he said phileo, he was grieved because he asked him the third time. Peter understood it as being the same question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And so I just want to make sure that we're clear in our understanding of that, that Jesus wants to call us away from condemnation. Jesus wanted to deal with the guilt and the shame that Peter was still carrying with him. And so he gave him this threefold opportunity to make right what he had done wrong. If you're looking for more evidence, Peter, Peter's answered every question. Whether Jesus says phileo or agape, he says, do you love me? And Peter's response in verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17 is, yes, Lord. My answer to your question is yes. But notice the the reason that he gives to explain his love for Jesus. He doesn't say, yes, Lord, I love you, and here's a list of reasons that prove that I love you because of all the great things that I've done. That's not, that's not how he proved that he loved Jesus. He didn't also make all these promises, yes, I love you, and I know I messed up in the past, but here's all the things I'm gonna do in the future. No, he said, Lord, each time, he said, you know, you know that I love you. He leans on the omniscient love of the Savior. You see, Peter knew that Jesus knew Peter better than he knew himself. And that's all Peter could rely on. When Peter and Jesus first met in a very similar situation on the Sea of Galilee, they're in the boat together and Jesus says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. And Peter now, years Later, with a lot of water under the bridge. That statement is more true now than he ever thought back then. I am a sinful man. A Peter doesn't trust his own heart, doesn't trust his own understanding. He says, Jesus, you know that I love you. Before Peter denied Jesus, Jesus predicted it. Jesus said, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus always knew that. He knew that when he first called him. And Peter is, first, is, is coming to grips with what it means for Jesus to know everything about him and yet still love him. Some of us live as though we still have some things that we have kept secret from Jesus. Nothing is secret from Jesus. Some of us think that we're still kind of hiding some things for him and, and putting on our, our best face. He knows everything about you, past, present, and future. He has seen you at your worst in the same way that he saw Peter at his worst and still loves you. Not only still loves you, still wants to use you. Doesn't say to Peter, yeah, you know what, you used to be in the starting lineup, but you really dropped the ball that Easter weekend, so you're still on the team. You'll be in the press box for a little while. Maybe we'll put you on the fourth line, and you're just going to be riding the bench from now on. You're still one of us. No, he says, feed my sheep. He says, Peter, I know that you failed. 
but you're going to continue to follow me and you still have a mission and a purpose. Don't think it's over. Satan wants you to think that God is closing the book. What God is doing is starting a new chapter. Don't let your failure keep you from Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to walk in condemnation. He is calling you back. He is calling you out of condemnation. Then Jesus encourages Peter. Peter thought that he was so committed to Jesus and then, and then he ends up denying him within a matter of hours. But then Jesus gives him this assurance in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Jesus assures Peter, hey Peter, you might doubt yourself, you might think, well, if I denied him that one time, what's to stop me from doing that again? Is, is this going to be a, a, a pattern in my life? Am I, is it just going to keep getting worse and worse? So Jesus says, no, when you're old, you're going to follow me into old age. You are going to persevere, Peter. And when you are old, you are actually going to do what you think would be the greatest honor. You are actually going to give your life for me. Peter said, I'll die for you. And rather than dying, he denied him. But Jesus reassures Peter, he says, when you are old, you will die for me. And John adds in verse 19, he says, it's by this death that he will glorify God. And church history records that Peter did give his life under uh, the Roman emperor Nero. Peter was uh, executed for his faith. Jesus was correct in predicting and prophesying the future when, Jesus, when Peter denied Jesus and he was correct in prophesying and predicting the future about how Peter was going to die. And then I love what he says at the end of verse 19. He says, follow me. Follow me. But the next two words in verse 20 are quite interesting. So Jesus says, follow me. And then verse 20 says, Peter turned. <laughs> That's the story of my life. Is that the story of your life? And Jesus is like, come on, follow me. And Peter's like, oh, okay, wait, wait, turning. They, they just started. He, he's just been reinstated. He, he's, he's just been restored. He's just been given his mission and his purpose. He's just been assured of God's forgiveness and grace. He's just had the opportunity to tell Jesus, yes, I do love you. And Jesus says, follow me. And now Peter's already off track. It says that he turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. He, he saw the guy that's writing this. That's how John referred to himself. He saw him following them. This is the second thing that Jesus calls us out of. He calls us out of condemnation, but he also calls us out of comparison. He calls us out of comparison. Peter finds out how he's going to die. He finds out how it's all going to work out. And rather than focusing on following Jesus, which is what Jesus just told him to do, he turns around and he starts looking for someone else. 
And he starts comparing himself to someone. Now, this is, a, this is a, a chronic problem for Peter, as it is a chronic problem for many of us. If you look back at verse 15, the very first question that Jesus asked, Jesus said, do you love me more than these? What does Jesus mean by these? Do you love me more than these? There's kind of two ways to read what Jesus is saying here. It's saying, do you love me more than these? Or do you love me more than these? If it's the, if it's the do you love me more than these, he could be talking about these, uh, these fish, these nets, these guys. That, I mean, do you, do you, Peter, is the love in your heart for me more than for 153 fish or 10 other disciples or, or the nets? Is that what he's getting at? I mean, that would be a bit of a no-brainer answer, don't you think? Don't you think Jesus was more worthy of his love than a net? Or is he saying, do you love me more than these? Is it a comparison question? What Jesus is asking is, do you love me more than these guys love me? You see, because comparison, it was a chronic problem for Peter. Peter got in all those arguments with the other disciples about who was the greatest. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter said something very revealing. Before Peter denied Jesus, this is what he said about these guys. He said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Matthew 26, 33. Peter compared himself to the other disciples the night before Good Friday. He compared himself to the other disciples and said, you know what, I'm better than them. Jesus, let's, let's just be clear here. All of these scrubs over here, they might fall away from you, but I am the real deal. I'm better than them. I'm stronger than them. I'm more committed to them. I've counted the cost. I've taken up the cross. Sounds like someone who's about to crash and burn, doesn't it? Pride comes before a fall. And comparison can so often lead to pride. We think that we're better than someone. And it's so funny how Peter can be trapped in the pit of condemnation and gets, as soon as he's out of the pit, now he's up on his high horse doing the comparison thing. What about him? I'm going to suffer and die? Don't you think, don't you think, he, does he deserve better? He's, he turns. He looks away. Comparison. It was a problem for Peter. Listen, it's a problem for us. And Peter didn't look to someone he didn't know. He didn't compare himself with, you know, the rich and famous or the successful in the world. No, he compared himself to a close friend. Comparison destroys friendships. John was Peter's closest you know, when Jesus was walking around teaching, ministering to people, performing miracles, there was sort of this group of 72. They were, they were sort of the, the broad category of disciples. And then there was the group of 12, and they were the disciples that were called the apostles. But then within the 12, there was a, a special group, a group of three. Peter, John, and John's brother James. When Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, only three people saw it, Peter, John, and James. When Jesus was transfigured and Moses and Elijah appeared, the only people that saw it were Peter, James, and John. When Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane and 
wept and sweat like drops of blood. Only three people saw it, Peter, James, and John. He was so close to John. And they were so competitive with one another, racing one another to the empty tomb. And John puts in his gospel, yeah, and I beat him. Just saying. They were so different from one another. John won the race, but he waited outside the tomb. And then Peter, of course, goes right in. They were so different from one another. And Peter sort of got this sense that, wait a second, you're going to treat me different than you're treating John? This isn't right. This isn't fair. This isn't what I deserve. That's the trouble with comparison. We start thinking that we deserve something better than the others and we forget what we really deserve. What did Peter deserve for denying Christ three times? What do we deserve for our sin? Eternal separation from God in hell is what we all deserve. And that's where our focus needs to be. Not on other people and what they're getting. It's so easy. It's so easy to... Comparison in this sense works on the I'm better than them. That, that's what Peter struggled with. But so often comparison can work on the other way. Rather than leading to self-righteousness, it can lead to self-pity. Everyone's, everyone's more mature than I. Everyone's growing spiritually. Everyone knows their Bible better than me. Everyone has it all together. And we go on social media and we think everyone's family looks so perfect and everyone's so funny and witty and everyone's buying all these cool things. And it's, Meanwhile, we forget that everyone who posts any picture takes like 18 different versions and then edits it down and Photoshop to make sure everything looks absolutely perfect. But social media can be so discouraging because we think everyone else is living this perfect life. Comparison. Why did that person get that ministry position? Why was that person given those gifts? Why does that person have such an attentive spouse? Why does that person have such unusually obedient children? You see, John's, John's future, it's not that Peter had a problem with John. Peter has a problem with Jesus. He says, what about this man? What about this man, he says in verse 21. Then in verse 22, Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And then he says the same thing. You follow me. Sort of in a polite way, Jesus says what what we would say, uh, You're on a need-to-know basis, Peter, and you don't need to know. Peter, this is none of your business, what happens for him. I told you what's going to happen with you, and that is all you need to know. Now, it seems like a harsh rebuke, but when you really think about it, Jesus is giving Peter an invitation to freedom. Comparison, competitiveness, covetousness is a horrible tyrant. Always looking around to see like a human bar graph, to see where you measure up and line up and comparing with different people. It is exhausting. And Jesus loves Peter too much. He loves us too much to stay in comparison. So he calls us away from it. 
And his answer to condemnation is the same as his answer to comparison. Follow me. When we feel that sense of condemnation, Jesus says, follow me. What happens when we get our eyes on Jesus if we feel condemned? We get our eyes on a God who loves us unconditionally. We get our eyes on a Savior who suffered and died for, on the cross for our sins once and for all. And a condemnation is obliterated before the cross of Jesus Christ. But Jesus also says, follow me when it comes to comparison. What happens when we come before Jesus Christ and follow him when we're struggling with comparison? We see a savior suffering and dying for our sin. We see what we truly deserve and we see that the ground before the cross is level. That we all deserve the same thing and that we have all been offered unbelievable grace. And that cuts comparison at its root. The answer to both is following him. No more condemnation, no more comparison. Jesus is calling you back today. Don't think that because you've been failing him that that means you're, you can't follow him. You might think, no, no, I've wandered too far. It's not too far. I've waited too long. It's not too long. Today is the day. Put on your outer car garment, jump in the water, get to Jesus as quickly as you can. He is as eager to get you following him as more eager than you are. Jesus spoke directly into the specific situation three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He wants to speak specifically into your situation. Whatever you are carrying with you. He wants to take that burden from you and have you follow him in freedom. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from comparison. Freedom from yourself. So that he can live in you and his joy and his love and his peace and his contentment would live in you. Let's pray that he would do that in all of our hearts. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for these brothers and sisters who are gathered in your name right now. God, I pray. I pray for those of us who are continually taking our eyes off of you and putting our eyes on other people, trying to see how we measure up God, forgive us for our pride, our haughtiness, our arrogance. God, forgive us for our self-pity and our despair. God, I pray for those who are continually hearing accusations from the enemy of condemnation. God, I pray that we would hear you loud and clear, inviting us to affirm our love for you, inviting us to follow you. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that through the cross of Jesus Christ, we have no condemnation. I thank you that through the cross of Jesus Christ, Christ is our standard, his holiness, his sacrifice, not how we compare to others. God, I pray that even in the midst of our failure, Lord, that we would follow you.
And I pray that we would hear you today, hear you calling us back. God, thank you that you never fail, that although we fail again and again, that your love for us never fails. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.